630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. As Bryant pulled off the field during warm-up tonight because of a positive COVID test, about 15 minutes ago, Bryant tweeted, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and call it quits for the rest of the season. I can't deal with this. So quite a development. The Ravens receiver positive for COVID, not playing in the game, and he tweets out that he's going to take the rest of the year off. We'll see if he sticks with that. Ravens and Cowboys just underway. Baltimore at 6-5, and five, trying to stay in the playoff mix, and the Cowboys having a bit of a lost season here. They are rolling in at 3-8, and eight, though I guess they're only a couple wins off the lead in the NFC East. As for the National Hockey League, we are hearing more and more about January 13th as the day the puck will drop on a shortened regular season to discuss that. We welcome back to the show, my friend, Chris Johnston insider from the NHL on sports Chris, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? I could not be better, Reed, although I am a Cowboys fan. So I think some heartache is to follow our phone call as I watch this game tonight. They are uh, not having, well, they, they lost their quarterback. That's uh, the rumor is in football. That's never helpful. Is Dalton playing tonight or are they using the other guy? It's Dalton no, tonight, isn't it? It's Dalton. It's Dalton tonight, yeah. But when you get down to your fourth stringer, which they were for a game, that's not a sign of a good season. Well, and I, I literally called him the other guy because I can't remember his name, that fourth stringer that had to start a game. So, yeah, that's that's a bad sign when you have people who follow sports for a living calling you. The, do you remember his name? Danucci? <laughs> right. Oh, the, 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 and then uh, there was the other guy. Oh, man, it's bad. Yes, anyway, I'm see the to, other guy. I'm trying to forget. <laughs> there haven't been many happy Sundays in my house, uh, if, if you understand this this last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, I understand. It's a tough season for them, for sure. And uh, taking on a good opponent tonight. We'll, we'll keep an eye on this Des Bryant story. I believe this is the I, – I don't think that that's happened in the NFL this season, that a player was about to play and then got taken off the field. And then it makes you wonder about – close contacts and i would say aren't all his teammates close contacts and they're all playing so we'll see we'll see anyway january 13th i'll just kind of start generally chris before we dive into some of the details how are how are you feeling about that date like are you thinking yeah that's the the firmest date we've we've had in a while Put it this way, if it was if the over-under was January 13th, I would probably be taking the over. You know, I, I want to be optimistic. Certainly 100% the focus of the, the discussions that are ongoing right now are, are getting the league back, getting training camps completed, getting, you know, regular season games starting that day. But, you know, in talking to people on both sides of these conversations, uh, I think everyone acknowledges that, that COVID ultimately, I mean, they can make plans, but... It, the COVID and then the health regulations and some of the, the various, you know, governmental uh, procedures that are needing to be observed here could dictate that, that it gets pushed beyond that. But, you know, I, I think that where this is good news, uh, if, if you're someone looking to see the NHL return, is that there's a real earnest attempt here to get back for, for January 13th. And, and if it's not then, then it's going to be January 20th or, you know, something of that nature. I think that we now have kind of the, the region where they, they should return to. And then, you know, a lot is going to come down to the sort of logistics of pulling all this off. Yeah. Well, and you make a great point about COVID. And of course there were some pretty major announcements today in Alberta. And as I've said, thousands of times doing a sports show for the last nine months. I, I realize there are more important things in the world. So we talk about sports in, in an appropriate mm-hmm. context here and you do wonder 
what could happen. I mean, obviously, it looks again to go back to the NFL. San Francisco is playing home games in Arizona. How could that affect the San Jose Sharks or other teams in California? Alberta's under a lockdown for four weeks, so that goes to January fourth. What if it gets extended and they couldn't even play home games? Like you're right, there is there is so much to worry about. But but is is the is the modified hub city format completely off the table like our teams traveling and playing double or triple headers baseball style now pretty much for sure pretty much for sure although i would say that 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 is still being left as a possibility just in case you know outbreaks get to a point where there's a number of cities where you, you can't play games in that city and and you know i think you could probably relocate a team or two for a period of time uh, like the 49ers have done in, in going to arizona but you know, if, if it gets to where it's six or seven or eight teams, I don't know the magic number. I mean, the, the, it might reach a point where the most sensible way to do this is the regional hub city. So it's not the preference. It's, it's certainly not, at this point, I think, the favorite even. Uh, but it's, it's kind of for a, 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 a rainy day kind of uh, provision, I guess you might call it, uh, you know, depending what happens. I think the league recognizes it's going to have to be nimble here. I mean, this is, this is a different experience than what we had with the return to play in the summertime, just when, you know, as, as we saw, it was no slam dunk, but they got through a very tightly confined, you know, bubble situation with no positive tests. Uh, when 33,000 of them administered, well, there's going to be positive tests. I mean, it, I, I hate to say that. I don't say it lightly. I recognize we don't know the long-term effects of what happens. I'm not trying to be callous, but it's it's happened in literally every other sport that's going on right now. Uh, whether we look to those in Europe, uh, obviously the World Junior Tournament, this has become newsy in the NFL. Uh, the NBA had almost 10% of its players uh, produce positive tests upon return for their training camps. And so, you know, just with, with the way that the spread is right now, there's going to be positive tests, and I think the league understands, yes, they'd love to play in every individual arena, and they'd love for everything to go smoothly, but this probably won't be a smooth process. Okay, so what's the latest with the financials? Because I could see the players' point of view saying, hey, we signed this deal, we already said we got to give a little bit back, but I could also see the owner's point of view saying, look, if you're getting 50%, you have to understand that the the total is could be a lot lower than it than it usually is, but it sounds like now they're they're kind of going to go ahead with what they negotiated in the summer. Yeah, because essentially what the players did is when they finally did you know issue a response to those proposals, and it was almost two and a half weeks after those arrived, or maybe even a little bit more than that. You know, they they asked for you know the salary cap to be bumped up in future years in in, in a small way. I think five hundred thousand each of the next two years was the ask, and and essentially. The, the league, when they looked at it, they said, all right, we're not going to go revisit the, the CBA. We're not going to tinker with this. You know, thanks, but no thanks. We're just going to move on. And so, you know, this will be a storyline that, that crops up years down the road and probably in the next couple of years just because the players essentially have a large debt uh, as a whole to the owners. They, they've, they've taken more than 50% last year, uh, and that was part of the deal to, to save the season the way they did. They're going to take much more than 50% this season uh, just because it's another year without fans. And, and you know, I, I can't even tell you what that number is going to be, but it's it's probably over a billion dollars that the players as a collective are going to be in debt to the owners, and, and it will be the focus of future CBA talks and those things we don't really want to get into now. But uh, I think ultimately the league decided uh, the players weren't immediately warm to the to the idea of ease and making this a little bit easier on owners, you know, many of whom are, are you know, in a difficult cash flow situation. They haven't been uh, selling things they normally sell. You know, most markets, you haven't sold a ticket in almost a year now. Uh, I know those reverse retro jerseys are flying off the shelves, but, you know, for the kind of money an NHL team needs to operate, uh, you know, I think some owners are in a difficult spot. And 
Uh, I don't suggest to you that, that there will be a few owners that won't forget that the, you know, they're asked for a bit of charity here. It wasn't met too kindly by the players. So to put it perhaps somewhat callously, though, is this the current generation of players saying, well, too bad the next generation of players will have to worry about that debt and maybe they'll only get 35% of revenue while we stuck with, you know, the current cap and got as much as we could. I think that's a fair look at it. You know, I don't know if how many individual players are wired into this that are actually thinking that way explicitly, but I think that that's, that's what the decision is. I mean, the decision is that in the future, the players are not going to have the opportunity to earn as much as, as these guys do now in, in terms of the total pie. I mean, you, you hope obviously that with Seattle, you know, a few years down the road, once you have Seattle, you have a new U.S. media rights deal. You have other ways to make money that in general, the league's going to be making, you know, more than the $5 billion it was making when the COVID pandemic began. But if that's the case, the owners will be making 60% of it some of those years or 70%. I mean, I, I can't tell you again what the specific number is because there's so many unknowns with how this season will play out. But, you know, in, in very broad terms, uh, the players are getting much more of their, their salary for this season than, than they would in a typical 50-50 arrangement. And in the future, you know, players aren't going to be able to, to do quite as well. But, you know, if we're being fair, that's usually the way unions operate. Uh, it's, it's about serving the members of today, even though the, the unnamed members of tomorrow are going to have to pay some consequences. And I think that, that that's essentially just, you know, how this is going to play out. Chris Johnston joining us from Sportsnet tonight on Inside Sports. Six minutes into the Cowboys and Ravens game. No score. Lamar Jackson just with a nice little run here on second and eight to get a first down for the Ravens. I'll, I'll ask you, this This is kind of a tough question, and I understand maybe you can't give me a definite answer, but, but I'll ask it that way. How many owners do you think, if there was a secret ballot, would vote just not to play? I mean, we've heard, you know, Brian Burke, for example, one of your colleagues, tell the story about talking to a executive who said, we lose $15 million if we don't play and 60 if we do play. So we, we don't want to play. Like, how many teams do you think, if it was a secret ballot, would actually vote, let's just not have a season? I could see it being as high as 10, uh, which is kind of an interesting number because as it turns out, if, if any uh, vote on this you know, were to be turned down, it would take 11 no's to, to officially turn down uh, this sort of return to play plan, the realignment and everything that's going to go to the Board of Governors. I don't think it will come to that because, you know, as we know, Gary Bettman has been very skilled at this for, for 30 years in terms of making sure when it comes time to, to have one of those votes that he's got what he needs in order to pass that that motion. But um, you know, I think it's as many as 10. There's, there's definitely some frustrated owners out there. You know, Bill Foley has been, been open in Vegas and, and talking to the media a little bit about the, the money he's going to lose, you know, in private, you know, there, there's a belief that even Jeremy Jacobs who runs the Boston Bruins uh, and has a, a, a secondary or sideline business tied directly to running arenas and, and making money off of, of that at a, at a time, obviously when that business is going to be taking a hit, you know, that, that he might not even be all that thrilled about playing. And and so I think the commissioner is probably meeting more resistance on this than, than maybe anything during his time. And, you know, I still have confidence that he's going to find a way to, to make this as, as right as he can with the owners, that, that, you know, he's determined to steer through these, these choppy waters and get the season played and, and get to what he's already described as, as you know, back to normal for, for next season, uh, you know, come the fall. But, you know, this is this is a difficult week for him, and he's got a board of governors call you know tomorrow, uh, where he's going to have to inform the owners on sort of where things are with the planning, and you know potentially even face a little bit of 
pushback from from those that aren't happy with this plan. Wow. Okay. Well, still a lot to sort out, but I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you're generally optimistic about there being a season, a safe one, as as am I. But uh, you know the, that I think the fallout from this year is going to be an ongoing story as well. Uh, hey, I I I, I want to ask you this. Couple other topics quickly. Uh, yeah. Lou Marsh. I got a voter coming up. You're you're not a Lou Marsh voter, are you? I'm not. No. Sean Fitzgerald's coming up. The, the Duvernay, the Duvernay Tardif story is is really interesting because he is deserving of accolades. I'm not sure if he's deserving of that specific accolade with the Lou Marsh. I, I think it's a fair conversation. I mean, the fact that he was part of a Super Bowl winning team at the start of the year, and then with this just being such an unusual year, you know, to me, that 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 might be the differentiator in in, in justifying it is that sports as we know it didn't happen properly in 2020 and the fact that this is someone who you know has put his sporting career aside to serve the greater good in addition to at the start of the year winning a super bowl you know i i understand the sentiment i I would have been voting for alonso davies if i had a vote but i certainly don't really have that you know it doesn't bother me the way this played out and it it almost feels fitting that they're they're sharing it i thought alfonso had a really classy tweet in accepting this and and you know tipping his hat to to the co-winner and and you know, I don't think this is the worst outcome, even if, you know, if I was voting, I, I certainly would have been backing Davies this year. And dare I ask, and I'm asking you this, Chris, because uh, I get asked frequently, so I'm passing on the pain of predictions. What's your Canadian division standings? <laughs> oh, well, I'm putting the Leafs at the top, and not just because I live in Toronto. I think that, that they probably deserve that spot, whether they, they win it or not. I think Edmonton's going to have a good year. I actually like their offseason. It's not perfect. I think the questions and goal to some degree remain. Uh, but, you know, they're probably also maybe a little bit too focused on, hyper-focused on, given the way the second half performance went. So I think the Oilers will be in the mix with the Leafs. And, and I actually like Montreal as kind of a dark horse to be near the top of that division. I think Vancouver's taking a step back. i got Calgary middle of the pack. Ottawa at the bottom and, uh, you know, Winnipeg kind of in that mushy middle. But I think it'll be one of the, the Leafs, the Habs, or the Oilers that win the division. Well, both the only thing that's unanimous is that Ottawa is seventh, so watch them finish third now, right? <laughs> well, you know, there's unknowns here. Look, we're, we didn't even get into this, but this could potentially, I'm hearing now, January 3rd for camps to open, and, which would be include no exhibition games. If they actually drop the puck on the 13th, I mean, you've got players coming back from at all various rates of, you know, some guys have been playing in Europe, some haven't played in nine months and, and there's not going to be that much prep time. There's no exhibition games. I mean, and it's, and it's a short schedule. I mean, they're, they're starting at 56, but that's the high watermark. I mean, if we deal with cancellations or, or postponements the way the, the NFL has, the, this could easily be a 48 game schedule. So there's going to be some randomness if that's what happens. And, and I'm, I'm all for that. I'm actually pumped about this division and, uh, I hope it gets me back to Edmonton sooner rather than later. Yeah, I hear you, man. It would, be, it would be great to see you. And, of course, you're welcome on the show anytime. Chris, thanks for chiming in tonight. I'll let you go back to the Cowboys game. Um, I, I, are, are you taping it? Can I tell people what's going on? You can tell. You can say what's going on. It's okay. The Cowboys got an interception, and they're in the red zone. Uh, incomplete oh, pass. They baby. might have to settle for a field goal, but they're probably going to have the lead. So there you go, buddy. That might be the last time tonight, so let's get that 3 nothing lead early. <laughs> that is Chris Johnston checking in from the NHL on Sportsnet. Love talking to him, and uh, there he said at the end, here in January 3rd for camps, and then they would start the season January 13th, so he said, look, it could wind up being January 20th or somewhere in that range. we got to call a quick timeout. Inside Sports on 630 Chat.
right, so the Cowboys get the field goal up 3-0 on the Ravens, about four and a half minutes left in the first quarter. If you missed the breaking story there, Des Bryant pulled from the game well, shortly before it started because of a positive COVID test, and he put out on his Twitter account that he is, as a result, going to be uh, done for the season. We'll see if he sticks with that. Kevin writing in. By the way, you can get in touch by calling or texting 780-496-0063. Kevin says, uh, 10-day training camp after so many months off for some of these teams. Oh, man, I see a whole lot of injuries. Well, and I thought Chris Johnston, who we just had on, Kevin, made a good point that it's going to be somewhat unpredictable and players might come in in a variety of different states most of them have obviously been well i mean they think they've all been skating and staying in shape but some have been playing in europe some maybe uh have been have had more success with their training and staying in shape than other guys and uh, a long time off for the ottawa's of the world they haven't played a game since mid-march greg says read the player's position on sharing in these difficult times is an example of simple short-sighted greed the lack of global vision and no concept of the greater good makes me sick. That is a text coming in from Greg tonight. Uh, plenty of time to talk about the NHL as we move along this evening. We are going to turn our attention to the Lou Marsh Award, and you can tell me too, what do you think? Should Laurent Duvernay-Tardif have been voted the co-winner with Alfonso Davies, a player who did an incredible humanitarian gesture, leaving football to pursue medicine and help with COVID, but he really didn't play a lot in 2020. Should have that been Alfonso Davies getting the award all to himself? All right, so we are talking with Chris Johnson about James Neal and the Oilers, possibly January 3rd for training camp, possibly January 13th for the start of the regular season. Of course, a lot still up in the air and to be figured out. You heard Chris say that there's a Board of Governors call tomorrow with Commissioner Gary Bettman involved. So uh, we'll see what we get, but we'll see what we get. I'm pretty optimistic there will be an NHL season, just still not sure exactly when or how long. Lamar Jackson the exciting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, a 37-yard touchdown run on fourth and two late in the first quarter. So it is now 7-3, Baltimore leading Dallas. The Cowboys get a pretty good kick return on the ensuing kickoff all the way down to about the Ravens 29. So they're back in scoring range. We'll keep you updated on the Tuesday night football game as we move along tonight. Oh, man, when this guy comes on the show, I am quivering with anticipation all day long. Writes for the Athletic Toronto, author of the excellent book, Before the Lights Go Out, and a voter for the Lou Marsh Award. It is the one and only Sean Fitzgerald checking in this evening. Hey, Sean, how's it going? You know, I remember Anthony Calvillo won the 2002 CFL East Division Final on a 35-yard run up the middle, and I'm sure he just finished it 10 seconds ago. And having watched Lamar Jackson do that, it's just, it is unreal what that quarterback can do. He is he is something that you just don't see. I do remember that. Like, it was in slow motion. Anthony Calvillo, the Argos were, you know, the, the very much the underdogs because that was, that was the Alouettes back when they had Ben Cahoon in his prime and Brian Chu and all those great names. Many of them are already in the Hall of Fame. And he took off up the middle. And I remember thinking, even from the press box, even in the big O, like, you know what? People say, oh, I could do that. And, and they never could. Like, you, you couldn't hit a three-point jump shot in an NBA game. You, you couldn't score an NHL goalie. 
I swear to you now, 18 years later, I might have been able to run faster than Anthony Calvillo did to win the CFL's East Division Championship, but I'll be damned he did it. Uh, I remember that play. I think I, I, I don't think I saw it live because I think I was already on my way to Commonwealth Stadium for the West final between Edmonton and Winnipeg. And then, of course, the, uh, the Montreal came here for the Great Cup the next week and won on a very icy field at Commonwealth Stadium as we go down memory lane a little bit. But that's not why I had you on, buddy. You know why you're on tonight. Your feet are getting held to the fire. Well, maybe. Uh-oh. This, Uh-oh. Well, we'll see. We'll see. But look, the Lou Marsh has brought some interesting discussion today. I'm getting some texts about it. I'll catch up with guys. For those of you texting about the Lou Marsh, really good comments. I, I want to focus on Sean, but you can write in and I'll, I'll read them later. But before we get into today's decision, can you just describe in general how the Lou Marsh Award is is uh, is picked? Because I, I, I had you and uh, Simmons on last year at the same time. And, and I, I'm sure you have to maybe change the procedures, but how, how do you go about making the selection in any given year? Yeah, so generally it, it is pretty informal. Um, generally what happens is uh, the Toronto Star, and this is this is their award, they've broadened it out over the years, um, have, you know, I'd say two or three dozen reporters come down to their offices, their, their publisher's boardroom, a nice big office overlooking Lake Ontario, um, on, you know, the first Monday or Tuesday of December, and they have a bunch of people from across Canada calling in. So from from Victoria, from Vancouver, from Quebec, from from the Maritimes, calling in, and everybody tries to weigh in. And the way it works generally is everybody goes around the table. You go around the table, and everybody nominates somebody. So you know, uh, for this year, for example, I nominated. Um, because, again, some of the, the, the major names had already been nominated. I nominated Christine Sinclair, the, the women's soccer star, because, you know, in January, which feels like 30 years ago, but it was still this year, uh, she became soccer's all-time international goal-scoring leader. She scored the 185th goal of her career. So, you know, she is the flag bearer for Canadian soccer. And, and you know, you know, 2002 in Edmonton, uh, I think, was when she had that real big first tournament with the, the women's team at Commonwealth Stadium. So, anyway. So I nominated her, and you go around, you go around the table, and then after that, you narrow it down to a, a short list of five. And from there, you basically argue. Um, you know, and it's really difficult because some days you can be arguing, you know, this was a couple of years ago that, you know, you're arguing uh, a mogul skier against a baseball player. Like, how do you possibly find common ground? What's the common denominator there? Like, how do you compare bobsleigh with hockey? Um, you're looking at depths of field. You're looking at competition. Um, it really is apples and oranges. So it really does get, you know, obscenely heated because, you know, nobody can find real common ground. Um, generally, it's pretty civil, but it can get fairly intense. Um, so you go around and, and you debate, and eventually you have a final vote. Um, and that vote is uh, sort of a secret ballot, I guess you could call it. And uh, the, they tabulate it up, and about an hour later, they announce the winner. So do you, when you do your ballot, do you just vote for one name, or do you do a 3-2-1? How do you do it? Yeah, see, that was the thing. So you talked about the being different this year, is that obviously we can't get together in the Toronto Star Publishers boardroom, which is too bad because you always like to have the free sandwiches that Torstar pays for at the end of it, and we didn't get that this year. So that is the real tragedy of this whole thing. There was no free lunch. Um, so usually when you get together in the publisher's office, you do. You vote 3 two, one right? And it's, it's sort of weighted that way. Um, but because everything was done remotely this year and to sort of cut down any potential technological glitches, uh, we were requested to just send in number one. 
our top vote. Um, so that's how you ended up with the, the final vote, which was 18, 18, and 1. So 18 for uh, Duvernay-Tardif, 18 for Davies, and then 1 for somebody else? Um, yeah, that, that one, somebody else could have been, um, I believe, could have been, you know, Christine Sinclair, or it could have been, uh, you know, Jamal Murray. Uh, it could have been basically anybody. Are you willing to, and I realize you don't have to, it's a secret ballot, are you willing to share who you voted for today? I voted for Edmonton's own Alfonso Davies. Okay. So I'm going to read a text here from Cowtown Bob, and I'm sure you find it amusing that I have a uh, loyal listener clearly from the Calgary area. But Is that allowed? <laughs> Are we, I'm not, are we sure. violating Alberta law here? Like, am, Cowtown, I, am I a party to this? Cowtown Bob could be breaking some provincial regulations here. About, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Now I can't go to Alberta anymore. Thanks a lot, Cowtown Bob. <laughs> so here's what Cowtown Bob wrote in. And he's a pretty intelligent uh, texter. He writes in a fair bit. He says, hi, Reed. The voting for the Lou Marsh missed the point this year. It is meant to recognize the top athletic performance of a Canadian athlete. I do support the incredible contribution by Tardif, but it's not an athletic accomplishment. He's simply honoring the calling of someone in the medical profession. There is no need to give him an award or a portion of award. I think from Cowtown Bob, Sean, that's a very mature presentation of some of the... Um, arguments today that it should not have been split or that Tardif should not have received any votes, let alone 18. So you've heard that. I'm sure you've heard other things today. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting one, right? So, you know, he only played three football games this year um, and he won a Super Bowl and he was an offensive lineman and offensive line played. It's not easy to break down. It's not like he scored six, six touchdowns in the Super Bowl to win it. He was the starting right guard for an otherworldly quarterback. And, you know, since he has been away, the, the team he's left behind has gone, I believe it's 10-1 and one, um, or 11-1 and one now. So, yeah, so his impact on the field, sure, you can debate that. But, you know, over the years, this award has recognized, you know, Rick Hansen, um, you know, the man in motion who obviously did a lot to raise awareness, and, and also Terry Fox. Um, but there have been examples in the past where, you know, especially, and it has to be for you know, exceptional cases, um, the work off the field is also recognized. And I think that, you know, while uh, Laurent Duvinet-Tardif was not the only athlete to step away, but there was a boxer who's also gone to work in long-term care. There, there have been other Canadian athletes who have stepped away um, from their day-to-day to focus on helping on the front lines. And I know this was a, not the perfect example, but, you know, Haley Wickenheiser, recently retired hockey player, has been volunteering and doing incredible work to sort of raise awareness, certainly in the early stages of the shortages of PPE, personal protective equipment for frontline medical workers. Um, what he did, what uh, Tardif, uh, Tardif did was, you know, walk away from a Super Bowl champion. Walk away from a team that could have repeated. Walk away from history. He walked away from, from money. Um, and what he did just to get there. So that's, that's the off-field stuff. And he, he's volunteering. He's, he's, not, you know, he's, he's not certified as a doctor yet. So he was you know, working in a long-term care facility, which sadly we're all reading about to this day. You know, here in Ontario, there's really tragic, sad news about a suburban Toronto long-term care facility and, and its real challenges right now, even in this wave, eight months into this thing. So he went to work there, right in the heart of the front line. That is exceptional. And in, and in 2020, which is being defined globally by this pandemic, that cannot be overlooked. 
Okay. Well, no, that's that's fair, and I, and I understand that. And, and again, like it, this is it's it's one of these kind of fun sports discussions that includes oh, a topic that's not, that's not very fun, right? <laughs> but well, uh, that's the thing. Like, like he is he's done something that. I mean, you know, and, and Alfonso Davies has done a lot as well, right? Like on the field and off. And this isn't to discount any other athlete. And that's the thing is that when we're arguing this around the table, nobody tears down another athlete and their accomplishments to build up the other one. That's one interesting thing about this. That You know, when, you know, assuming we're ever allowed back in pubs again, when we have those discussions around adult beverages, we're sometimes prone to tear down other athletes to build up the case for our own. That doesn't happen around this table. Nobody's, nobody's tearing anybody down to build anybody else up. But, I mean, for what, what he did in the context of this moment, it's impossible to overlook. Yeah, I, that that's a fair way to put it. Uh, I mean, look, I I, I would have done what you did and and voted for for Davies. Um, and, yeah. and like the the reason this is like I I think well I think everybody realizes nobody's discrediting what what Duvernay Tardif did. It's just in the context of of this award, it becomes a bit of a a bit of an interesting discussion. But 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 despite like you just did all now, this the other great interesting Dave Dave Naylor, not to interrupt you, although I do like interrupting you. Um, uh, Dave Naylor from TSN raised, you know, in, in the discussion, talked about, like, like this is this is a kid who was born and raised and trained in Canada and went and started a Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl as a starter. Um, that, that doesn't happen a lot, right? Like, I think Israel Adonage, um, born, raised, trained in Brandon, Manitoba, went and started in a Super Bowl for the Chicago Bears. Like, to win it, to start it and win it, it's a very short list. In fact, it might only just be one one person on that list. So what he did cannot be discounted. We're seeing that now, you know, maybe in the nascent stages of a very wonderful career with Chase Claypool is from Abbotsford, BC, and you know, was the first rookie in the Super Bowl era to get ten touchdowns in ten games. He was also nominated, by the way. But to do that and continue and to start for a Super Bowl winning team, that doesn't happen a lot either for Canadians. So, you know, we can't overlook that as well. John Ryan obviously would have won it with the Seahawks. So, but here's the thing. So this is what I was going to ask you. Despite position every player. position, every player. oh, fair enough. Well, punting's a position. <laughs> don't you just made all it the kickers position, angry? But you don't get you don't tend to get hit in the face a lot when you're a punter. <laughs> oh, okay, that's a topic for another day. We're going to have a debate Fitzgerald versus. I'll just get a whole bunch of punters <laughs> on the line. So, despite all the positive, th- yeah, absolutely. Get them on. Bring them on, John Fleming. Despite all, things, on, reader. <laughs> despite all the positive things you just said about Duvernay Tardif, you still voted for Davies. How come in your mind you went with Davies? Because what he's done is just exceptional. Um, I mean, and it's tough because, you know, before the, before the pandemic and before, you know, the, the Bundesliga was on one of the only things on TV for such a long stretch of 2020, um, I couldn't have professed to be an expert in German top flight soccer. Uh, I, I am a, a Premier League fan, but I, I hadn't, you know, confessed to being a, a real ardent follower of Bayern Munich. But let's just break down the facts: is that you know this is a, a kid who was raised in Edmonton, went on to play in MLS, and you know when his rights, when his transfer fee came up, it set a record. That a German team, one of the biggest teams, club teams in the world paid MLS $22 million in a transfer fee. That was a record at the time. So all he's done is gone over there, and he was on a roster with a regular starting spot and won five trophies, including the Champions League, which is 
the top of the top club competition on the planet. And he was a regular contributor. And you can look, and he has highlights that have his contemporaries just, just their mouths are, are dropped. Right? Like, and he also set a Bundesliga record for, I think, in a game it was he reached speeds of more than 36 kilometers an hour while you know playing the game. That, that doesn't happen. That's a record. Um, he was, up, I believe he was up or won Rookie of the Year. He's been up for a host of other awards. Um, and this is at top flight. European soccer. This doesn't happen for Canadians. And and what he's done and the fact that he is so young, um, it, it absolutely warrants the recognition he received today. Yeah, I, I think that's how I would have gone as well. And it's funny because Simmons was on a couple weeks ago to talk about not being at the Grey Cup. That's the kind of year it's been. And he and he said for him it was between Davies and Murray, which I thought, well, yeah, that that makes sense. But uh, interesting it turned out this way for sure. Well, you know, on the other end, there's a bunch of interesting things to this. I mean, this is a bit of a broader conversation. You know, I've sort of touched on this, but there wasn't an NHL player in the top five this year. Like, think about that. Well, there, there should there shouldn't have been. I don't I don't think there no. should have been. But you know what I mean? Like, there's there's not a hockey player who is in the top five this year. Um, what this I think shows is a real growing diversity in Canadian sport. That you know, there was the old joke. I don't know how funny it was then. It's kind of funny now, but you know, internationally. Uh, fourth place was Canadian bronze, right? Like, like right. Because we'd go yeah. somewhere and we'd kind of hope to make the podium. Well, that's not the case anymore. Like in the top five, I, I believe it was the top five. There was, there was three soccer players in that top five and Jamal Murray and, you know, Chase Claypool is in that discussion too, that, um, you know, the cold weather sports um, don't necessarily have to dominate the discussion that Canadians are getting really good at a lot of things. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, I I agree. I, we I, well, you know we're going to be always be a hockey first nation, but I, I like the diversity too. I would too. debate that, but yeah, I might oh, even fair. write a book about that. Maybe one day. Maybe <laughs> one day. Did it again? Maybe 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 before the lights go out, you could write that book. Maybe then you know that'd be a great title. Can I borrow that? Yeah, you can use that title. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> Google Sean Fitzgerald before the lights go out. <laughs> hey, this was awesome. Uh, we'll do the punting segment next time. I, I really appreciate I you taking it. it behind the scenes. All right, hey, anytime. That is Sean Fitzgerald checking in. Writes for The Athletic and voting on the Lou Marsh Award. And he told you how it all happened. And it winds up with a tie. Davies and Duvernay Tardif, and there was one other vote that went to somebody else. So that's pretty interesting, too. 780-496-0063. I want to catch up on some of your texts coming in over So Baltimore missed a field goal, but then the Cowboys threw an interception. Let me take you. And now it is a touchdown for Miles Boykin. 38-yard pass from Lamar Jackson. They're about to kick the extra point. 13-10, Baltimore leading Dallas in the NFL tonight. Was that on air, Kellen, or was that in my headphones, that song? No, that uh, leaked on air here. Where did that come from? I don't know. I'm trying to source that right now. (laughs) Because sometimes my uh, my laptop, every once in a while, an ad will start playing. 
And so that's why I just kept talking because I thought that must be on my laptop, but apparently not. Anyway, I hope people enjoyed that. Uh, I, I wasn't able to quite pick up what that was, but there you go. 1410 for Baltimore. Like instead of name the animal, we'll just have name some ra- random song from somewhere. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Talking tonight about the Lou Marsh Award. Matt from Section O says the guy got a medical degree while playing in the NFL and was able to be a starter, an all-star, and a highly paid offensive lineman, and he won the Super Bowl. Ignore that he's working to fight COVID. That athletic ability alone should net him the Lou Marsh Award. Farmer Kevin has a good text. He says, let me get this straight. To win the Athlete of the Year, you must turn your back on athletics and do something else. It must be 2020. Yeah, I, I tend to agree more with uh, Farmer Kevin than I do with Matt from Section O, and I know that's going to deeply upset Matt from Section O. But, oh, that was Strawberry Fields by the Beatles. Thanks, guys. Um, the Oh, you know what that was? David Bowles, I think, is doing a feature on Lennon. This is the anniversary of his death. So that, he probably accidentally played that on air. It's here's Here's the thing for me. In general, if you're picking the award for Athlete of the Year, I don't know if someone's personality or other achievements should come into it. And I'm not saying that Tardif isn't a great story because he is, and he probably does deserve some kind of recognition. But like hypothetically, let's say, Let's say Farmer Kevin, who just wrote in, was an NHL hockey player. And he has 60 goals and 140 points. He's clearly the best player in the league, and he's clearly the best Canadian athlete for the year. But Farmer Kevin doesn't talk to fans. There's video of him ignoring kids who want autographs. He openly says that he doesn't like doing public appearances because he hates mingling with people. He's surly to the media and declines to do interviews. All that kind of stuff. So well, you're not going to vote for him after a 60-goal, 140-point season in the NHL? Of course you would. At least at least I would. I, I think it should come down to the accomplishments in your sport in terms of the athletic accomplishments. Anyway, interesting debate. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.